0: Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to Exodus 25. Our sermon this morning will come from Hebrews 9. So we'll turn there in a moment to Hebrews 9. But first, we're going to look at Exodus 25. Exodus chapter 25, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly, with his heart you shall take my offering." And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary." that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it, amen and amen. Growing up with four brothers on a dairy farm, I was not exposed much to fibrous arts or fabric arts. My mom did make quilts for each of us five boys, which is in and of itself a stunning accomplishment. One quilt per boy. But I have since learned, having daughters, that there's a lot that goes into this craft that I was not aware of. But God apparently is very aware of it. And here he gives commands to his people to craft for him a space. And he lays out the pattern for it. Do you know how important a pattern is when you're trying to do something that you want it to come out to look the right way? You you have to have something that you can follow. Do you know how many times I've been in the kitchen and been asked the question, do you have a recipe? I'm basically banished from the kitchen at this point. I don't use recipes. And so I can never produce the same meal twice. There's a pattern that we conform to. In like manner, in Exodus 25, God speaks to Israel and says, There is a pattern, and the tabernacle has to conform to this pattern. Why? Because that's where I'm going to dwell. This building will represent Emmanuel, God with us. The pattern that the tabernacle is to follow is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we are taught to see Jesus in the space and time of the tabernacle. With that in mind, turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. We'll see the other end of Exodus 25 in Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Hebrews Chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. We'll see now the better tabernacle, who is Christ. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices were offered are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience Concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. With the greater and the more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves. But with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the hef- of the flesh sorry the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to god cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen and amen. By 1970, Johnny Cash had given up drugs and gone into Christianity. The trade would not survive the decade. But in 1973... He was so thoroughly invested in this evangelical movement that he partnered with Billy Graham to make a movie about Jesus. Johnny Cash called it his personal statement of faith. I think it nearer the mark is the song he released that same year. It was entitled, No Earthly Good. He reflected in it how Christians are so prone, according to the famous phrase, to be so heavenly minded they are no earthly good. And he delivered in that iconic, understated, baritone voice, the line, If you have a hold of heaven, why not spread some of it around? This is an essential and fundamental tension in the Christian faith. That we often live wondering what is the balance between heaven and earth? Should I prioritize this moment and my love of the neighbor? Or is it more important to prioritize eternity and my love of God? How do I reconcile this life with the life that is to come? How am I to live here while anticipating there? And the Holy Spirit in Hebrews chapter 9 lays out for us the reality that, first of all, there's going to be a tension. And we're not going to solve it. Secondly, that that tension is reconciled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That the good news for us this morning from Hebrews 9 is that God arranges your life. And God arranges your world. To work out his purpose for your salvation. All those you's are plural. Okay? So, God arranges y'all's life. And God arranges y'all's world. To work out y'all's salvation. And so it is our job to long for heaven. But to love each other on earth. To labor in love on earth while longing for heaven. Let's keep these tensions in mind, this tension in mind as we work through the text. Notice we're confronted with this dichotomy immediately in verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. By using this turn of phrase, then indeed, the Holy Spirit connects the conclusion he's about to make with the prior argument, namely, that Jesus has ushered in a second and superior covenant. The relationship between God and humanity is not the way it used to be. The relationship between God and man is no longer going to be managed or administrated through Moses or through law or through type or through shadow. God and humanity will now have a relationship that exists in humanity. God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. What is more, the relationship will be grounded on an accomplished or finished work. The death of Christ on the the cross, the resurrection of Christ from the the grave, and the ascension of Christ to the right hand of God in heaven. This is now the new ground of that relationship. Then indeed, even the first covenant, which is obsolete, invalid, passing away, had its ordinances. It was ordered and arranged, designed by God to accomplish something. And we can learn from that that our relationship is likewise, ordained, ordered, and arranged by God, of divine service and earthly sanctuary. And these two phrases we are noting that there are two parts to our human existence. The divine service is the liturgy of life. The divine service is the fact that we exist in time. You have a starting point, you have an ending point. You have a page, in fact, most of us have little more than a footnote, in the story of humanity, in the history of the world. Count Zinzendorf said, live, love, serve, die, and be forgotten. The reality is, that we are going to pass through the pages of history and largely evaporate. We exist in a moment in time, but so too the earthly sanctuary. We exist in a particular space. Contrary to what everything technologically today, at least what you have in your pocket, is trying to communicate to you about your ubiquity, you do not exist everywhere at once. And you cannot keep track of all the news and updates. You must be one and whole, as Sam told Frodo. You must exist in one place at one time in order to be a whole person. God comes and says to us, we will have a relationship, but I will not transgress your creatureliness to do it. This relationship, this covenant between God and humanity exists within history and within time. It exists within the world and within creation. There is a heaven coming to earth. God is known by us in time and in space. This is an important, it feels kind of philosophical, doesn't it? I happen to like philosophy, so forgive me if I overindulge it. There is this philosophical concept that is really important, and this is is where it gets practical. God has designed history to work out in the exact timeline that he wants it to work out in. Have you guys ever tried to build a family tree? Two parents, four grandparents, eight, 16. Do you know how fast, like, those numbers multiply? It's only a handful of generations back and you are the byproduct of hundreds of individuals scattered all over the world. It does not take that long to realize that all the little threads that have come together to make you is an unmanageable thing if you are not God. Similarly, you think of all the places you have been Some of us are a little more keen to this. We call them third culture kids. They don't have roots. They don't feel at home in any particular place in the world. And they recognize that their spot in the world is occupied for a particular purpose. There's no accidents to your geography. I've told the story before. A couple years ago, we were driving out to Montana. It's a 40-hour trip. It's nearly 3,000 miles At mile 2,700, we get a flat tire. We are seven miles from Jonathan and Marty Wright, Chris's brother and sister in law. Jesus knows how to hit a bullseye, doesn't he? He knows how to arrange his geography. He knows how to run the world. He knows how to put you at the right place and at the right time in order to accomplish his purposes for our salvation yours and mine together. To this end, he offers us an illustration to convince us, to open our imaginations to how thoroughly and perfectly he runs this world. He shows us the tabernacle of old. How that first relationship, that first covenant between God and man was facilitated in both space and time. The earthly sanctuary is covered in verses 2 through 5. The divine service is covered in verses 6 through 10. First, in verses 2 through 5, this earthly sanctuary is described as having two parts. In the first part, we find the lampstand, the table, the showbread. It is called the holy place, the sanctuary. It is an earthly place. It is a place that is first entered and accessed by all the priests where there is light and a table and bread. Now, just for a moment, imagine that you're in an ancient Middle Eastern culture. Actually, imagine for a moment that you're in a New England culture. And you toss a door open, and you step out of the cold and the dark of a winter evening, and there is light on a table laden with bread. What just happened to your heart? Did you not cheer up? Did you not feel the welcome? There's a communication here of hospitality. That coming into the tabernacle, there is a goodness awaiting you. Light and loaves together to fill up the eye and the stomach and to fill us with joy and delight. Of course, these images are much broader and more beautiful And with the Holy Spirit in verse 5, I cannot now speak in detail about them. I don't have enough time. But let me give you one teaser. The lampstand in the book of Revelation represents the churches. The showbread is replaced every day. It's the text from which Jesus takes the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. We live in this world A world of welcome, a world of goodness, where we who know the spiritual reality can occupy a space in which there is a sufficient portion of the earthly goodness for us to enjoy. Where our work is nourished and sustained by God's blessing to us and upon us. But there is also the second portion. That most holy place. Where there is a golden censer full of the incense, which we are told in the book of Revelation is the prayers of the saints. There is the Ark of the Covenant gilded in gold, which was that image of Emmanuel. God is in our midst, dwelling with us. Inside it was the manna that is the bread from heaven, which Jesus will say in John chapter 6 was Him and His flesh envisioned. It has Aaron's rod that budded. That sign to the rebellious house of Levi. That they were to serve in the tabernacle but not offer sacrifices or pinch incense. That belonged to the family of Aaron alone. Lest we should be confused. And think that our earthly service is somehow salvific. When in fact it is Christ and Christ alone who saves. And so too... It is the tablets of the covenant. The law of God written then on stone, now on hearts. Hearts not of stone, but hearts of flesh. That we should live out the will of God in our lives. This is the first and second geography. Two twin realities that that are existing side by side in the same space. So that we should understand in our world that we dwell with God. The last one in verse 5 above it all are the cherubim who sit over the mercy seat in glory, longing to look into these things, longing to understand this mystery. You see, the cherubim have this very strange position in which they see God as he is and veil their eyes and cannot comprehend why He bothers to live with us. They look at the map of the geography and they say, "God dwells with sinners. This is why their wings are extended to obscure their sight. They long to look into these mysteries of mercy, but they don't understand them. Do you? Have you ever held a cup of water and considered the Father in heaven who loves you and gives you life? Have you ever held a hunk of bread and considered the Father who loves you and gives you strength? Have you ever put your head on a pillow, closed your eyes, and thought He gives His loved ones sleep? We live in a world of goodness, of welcome, of divine hospitality, where our God takes good care of us, provides for our needs, and enriches us, and we cannot now speak in detail about these things. That's why I highly recommend that you get involved in prayer meetings, in small groups. Where you can speak in detail about these things. Where you can share with one another. All these little details of your life. Oh here was my father meeting my need. Here was my father taking care of me. Come beloved together let us give thanks for this good world. As we see our father working in it. Our salvation. This is the geography of our lives. But then we are told about the divine service, that is, the timetables of our lives. Now, when these things had thus been prepared, when God as creator had arranged and provided for all his creation, when the tabernacle had gone up and it was built in its order, its geography was set, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing their services, There was a perpetual ordinary and daily existence in which the priests occupied that first spot on a daily basis. So it is with us. We live in this daily life and God is at work in us in the ordinary and everyday things. Your job is not divorced from the kingdom. What you do in school is not irrelevant to what God is doing in heaven. It is in the ordinary and everyday stuff that God is working out His salvation. The quiet conversation, the little relationships, the community we cultivate with one another. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. This, we again have the warning God is at work in the everyday world with us. But it is not our everyday work that saves. There is one great high priest in heaven. And it is in his blood, in his blood alone, that there is salvation. So let us live with gratitude for the goodness of this earthly life. Let us love one another and enjoy this beautiful world. But let us not lose sight of the centrality of Jesus. In whom is salvation alone and total. Having no sacrifice for his sins. He was the sacrifice for our sin. Which we committed in indifference. And in ignorance. And indeed in rebellion. In this way according to verse 8. The Holy Spirit indicated. That the way to the most holy place. Was not yet manifest. Our fathers lived at a time when they could not grasp how to live with a holy God. They could see the the drama play out in the priesthood. They could see the types and shadows, but it was murky and it was fuzzy. How was this to be worked out? Not so with us. We live in a time when the first tabernacle is no longer standing, for the second true and perfect and better tabernacle has come. We live with our Jesus... Who is the reconciliation of God and man himself. Who has through the tearing of his flesh. Opened wide the most holy place. So that to put it very specifically my friends. I urge you. Take up that cup of coffee. Sit with your neighbor. And have a quiet conversation. That little earthly sanctuary. That little time and space that is special between friends has a holiness to it that is good and rich. And if you close in prayer, you just leapt from the first room to the second. And if you were to open your Bible and read a passage and talk about it, you just leapt from the Holy place to the most holy place, you don't have to travel, you just have to fold your hands and close your eyes. The most holy place is now open in Christ Jesus. We have this little piece of earthly goodness, we have this little tiny lifetime of goodness, and it's constantly at the edge of eternity. We're living in the foyer of glory. Where every single moment can be a drop of grace. Where every single conversation can be eternal life. The words of eternal life. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to grasp. The dichotomy between heaven and earth should not exist for us. It has been done away with. That long road for Aaron to walk. From the uncleanness of Israel into the most holy presence of God in the center of the tabernacle, that road's done away with. It has been united in the person of Christ. And anywhere, with anyone, at any time, this earthly becomes heavenly. How beautiful this world! The Holy Spirit tells us in verse 9 it was symbolic for the present time in which gifts and sacrifices were offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect with regard to the sat conscience concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. By this the Holy Spirit teaches us that the tabernacle stands as a symbol In its dual reality, that which is ordinary and earthly has been separated from that which is heavenly and eternal. There is a veil between them that cannot be transgressed. There is an office of priesthood, and yet it did not achieve its end. The gifts and the sacrifices that were presented couldn't cleanse the conscience. It didn't do the job. It was only concerning tight shadows and instructions. It could only teach. It could only train. It didn't have the reformation. The true reality. That is the person of Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is the symbol come into its fruition. That but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. The times have changed. The geography has changed. The food and drink which we still enjoy are not devoid of their eternal meaning. Indeed, you have a quiet dinner with your family. It is an earthly blessing. It is sweet goodness. But we as a family of God have ourselves a dinner, do we not? In which there is food and drink partaken in faith. Which are to us the nourishment of Christ himself. And various washings. How many of you over the last few years have grown in your hand washing? Please don't actually raise your hands. We have become a culture where if you walk through a store or a restaurant, what do you find at nearly every door now? Hand sanitizer. Talk about a business to invest in four years ago. But now we have these various washings that only help for a time. I laugh at myself every Sunday morning because I will wash my hands repeatedly throughout the morning only to go and shake your hands. Only to realize that these various washings do not accumulate. How many times were you baptized? No more are there various washings. There is one washing in Christ. There is the bread and the cup in Christ. These fleshly ordinances have been reformed. They've been reshaped. They don't shape expectation and anticipation. They shape fulfillment and possession. Christ is mine and I am Christ. It is finished. And my geography says that. And my time says that. And I am taught to live in this world and to occupy a place in this world where these things are true and sure. And so the Holy Spirit then points us to the spiritual reality that was pointed to. But Christ came as high priest. He has three pieces of perfection with him. A greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation. Aaron could only get into the most holy place once a year. With a proliferation of blood and incense and washings. Not so you. You get to walk into heaven itself. And behold God. And not die. He has opened heaven to you beloved a more perfect tabernacle, a better tabernacle, not of this creation. And you say, I can't see it. And I say, I know it's not of this creation. You say, I can't feel it or hold it. And I say, I know it's not of this creation. It's apprehended by faith. It's held firm and fast by faith. There is a reality greater than my eyes, a reality greater than my hands. And I know, this is a little overly philosophical, I'm sorry. But now we're putting the axe at the root of the Enlightenment. We in the West have lied for 400 years. Your senses are not more true than your faith. What you believe is more true than what you see. There is a spiritual reality to this world. That what we experience of this rich earthly goodness where we love one another and share with one another the blessings of our God is but a pale reflection of the true and lasting reality that is to come in a more perfect tabernacle. Notice though, it's still a tabernacle. It is still a space. It is still a time. Secondly, his perfection is in his blood there is not longer the blood of goats and of calves. No longer are animals slaughtered in ad infinitum. But his own blood to enter the most holy place has obtained eternal redemption. There is a beautiful inversion of logic here. That once there was an endless litany of dead animals achieving nothing. Now there is one solitary death that has achieved everything. No more do we slaughter endless numbers of animals, forgiving no one. Now we have one human who has died, and there is forgiveness for all. For all who believe that indeed eternal and complete redemption, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifers, that day of atonement sprinkled on the camp of the unclean, sanctified no one But the blood of Jesus Christ purifies, even as that did the flesh. God would dwell in Israel at peace, but so much more did Jesus purify us with His blood. This, dear saints, is the spiritual reality that we taste and see. We live in this world of earthly goodness, and in it discover the perfections of Christ, a place that is made without hands, that transcends the creation. We call it eternal life. There is this time in which there is eternal redemption. I am fully and finally reconciled to God and released from all burden of sin and shame. And so lastly, his third and final perfection... Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It is actually a lasting change. He actually changes you. He brings into earth the heavenly reality. That which he has established invisible in the heavens, that perfect tabernacle, is nevertheless tasted and experienced among us here. We can actually experience the tabernacle that is to come. That blood that is secured, eternal redemption is a redemption we can live. A cleansed conscience where we no longer work the works of death. Where nothing that I do is truly futile. This is what Paul tells us at the end of that great long speech about the resurrection. We read 1 Corinthians 15, do we not? And we see all those little nuggets of resurrection and we think intellectually about it. Do you guys remember the final verse? So then we do not lose heart. So then we continue to do our work. We know that our work is not in vain. Friends, the reality is that dead works have been done away with in Christ Jesus. We serve a living God. A life-giving God. A God who has made this world of life so that in an earthly way we might live with Him. But so that through this earthly life we might discover the heavenly life that is to come. God has carefully arranged this world so that in it we might find Him. And He has carefully arranged this world so that the works we do in this world will create the world that is to come. Do we not long for the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells? Do we not long for Jesus to come quickly? That we might behold him face to face in the flesh as Job longed for. That he would see his redeemer. Do we not long for heaven? Then let us not grow weary of awaiting it in love. And knowing that he has arranged the times and the seasons and the years. To work out his salvation for us. For us all so that we might see the geography of this world shaped and reshaped for the giving of His Son and the saving of our souls. Beloved, God has arranged our world, our lives, so that we would long for heaven, but love here on earth. Please, pray with me. Our Father in Heaven, we give You thanks that You have established such a beautiful image before us, the picture of the tabernacle that was set up not according to the wisdom of Moses or Aaron, not according to the genius of the Israelites of old, but You designed it and patterned it, that through it we might see how You work in this world to the saving of our souls. That we might see the coming of the Christ. That we might see his reconciliation of God and humanity in his person. That we might see his sacrifice for sin. The gift of his righteousness. His resurrection and everlasting life and glory. That we might see his building of the new heavens and the new earth. That we might see our place in his plan. Our Father, we give you thanks for this beautiful image. And ask that we would live with this sight before our eyes. Knowing that these moments of our lives. These quiet and still and small hours. And all these little pieces of this world. Are coming together in the great and glorious plan of salvation in Christ Jesus. Give us faith to believe and hope these things. And to live in such faith and hope.